0: Have you ever followed someone for the wrong reasons? Have you ever followed someone for the wrong reasons? The person may have been popular. They have been liked by so many people. Uh, he or she might have been nice with their words, meaning in a good uh, communicator sense. They could, they could speak well, they were nice with their words. Maybe it was a friend you went to school with or currently going to school with. He or she is is cool with everyone. They know everybody. Everybody knows them. People follow this person. This person is well respected because of his or her popularity. Because of maybe their title or their talents, their personality, and their popularity. You followed them. And deep down inside, you figured that if you followed this person, or these people, that by following them, by just you associating yourself with them, deep down inside, you may have thought this, that it would make you popular too. In other words, you followed these individuals not for who they were, but what they can give you. What they could do for you. Not for who they are, but who they would make you to be if you were associated with them. Well, in a similar sense, We're going to see this same type of false following, if you will, from the crowd in our passage this afternoon, that they only came, as the text tells us in verse 8, because they heard all of what Jesus was doing, heard all about what he was doing, and they followed. And among other things, what we'll see in our time is people essentially trying to distract Jesus from his mission. Distract and deter him from his mission and him persevering, him pressing forward. So let me ask God for his help again, and we're going to dig into God's word. Father in heaven, hide me behind the cross. I pray that you increase and that I would decrease. I pray uh, that your word will do the work in all of our hearts in every way that you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So Mark... 3 verses 7 through 21 you can turn there in your bibles mark 3 7 through 21 is where we're going to be and verse 7 reads as follows and it should be popped up on the screen as well jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from galilee and judea and jerusalem and india and from beyond the jordan and from around Tyre and sidon known verse 13 and he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons he appointed the 12 simon to whom he gave the name peter james the son of zebedee and john the brother of james to whom he gave the name Barnages. I might have butchered that. That is the sons of thunder Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So this is God's word, family. have three points this afternoon if you're taking notes. Here they are. Point number one, we can't let the crowds and the enemy distract and deter us from the mission. Number one, we can't let the crowds and the enemy distract and deter us from the mission. And we'll see that in verses 7 to 12. Number two, we must raise up leaders to fulfill and feel the mission. We must raise up leaders to fulfill and feel the mission. We'll see that in verses 13 through 19. Number three, we may be misunderstood by family and friends because of the mission. We may be misunderstood by family and friends, the culture, the world, because of the mission. We'll see that in verses 20. 21. So let's look at number one. We can't let the crowds and the enemy distract and deter us from the mission, verses seven through twelve. So let's look at the crowd. When we were in our study of Mark, the last time we finished up another theological duel, so another just uh yeah, battle that Jesus had with the religious teachers of those times uh regarding his word uh with the Pharisees. So that was in chapter three, verses one through six. So we come to verse 7 and look back there with me, and we find Jesus getting away as he commonly did. Look back at verse 7. What does it say? It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea. So Jesus withdrew from the crowds with his disciples to the sea, and as he gets away with them, a great crowd follows. No matter how much Jesus tries to get away, a great entourage always lurks around the corner, right? This was a great crowd, as the text says. Kinda like the great crowd that showed, and bear it with me, bear with me, uh, that showed up to see LeBron James play in the Seattle Pro-Am game this summer. People arrived the night before, spent the night in tents awaiting a game that would happen the next day. I mean could you just imagine, just think about that for a second, I mean like coming to see LeBron, coming to see other players, people literally, some of you guys may have done this for concerts or certain events, so I'm not sure, we could talk about it after the service. Uh, but but they go to Seattle, they're camping out, awaiting a game that will happen the next day and they're awaiting it, they're excited for it. And so. The next game, the game happens when LeBron James comes onto the floor, a sea of people just rush to him. They fill the floor while the security is trying to hold them back and keep them back. This was the scene. Now, imagine that, but on a greater scale with Jesus. Imagine that, but on a greater scale with Jesus. People came from Galilee and Judea, right? And in verse 8... We learned that people come from other areas as well, right? Look back at verse eight. It says, not only did they come from Galilee and Judea, but they also came from where? Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sudan, Sidon. Folks came from the north, south, east, west of Israel to see Jesus. People from all over coming to see Christ. The folks that came to see Christ, they would have been Jews. And they would have been Gentiles, so Gentiles being non-Jews. This was a diverse crowd, very diverse crowd, and it was a packed crowd. It was a diverse crowd, and this was a preview of what heaven will look like. This is also a picture of what the church looks like. I love how Danny Aiken puts it. He says, the ethnic mix Is appropriate since the kingdom of God is to be made up of people from every tribe and nation around the world. Jesus would consistently affirm such diversity and would even command it in his great commission, Matthew 28, 18-20. We learn something else about the crowd that came, though. Not only are they diverse, but they're also coming to Jesus for the wrong reason. They're coming to him for the wrong reason. Look back at the end of verse 8. Here's what it reads. It says, When the crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. They are coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. Instead of following him for who he is, who he said he was, they are following him for what he can do. For what he can do. We've seen this already in the Gospel of Mark so far as we've been studying So in chapter 1, uh, verse 33, if you want to turn over and look there uh, just to see it again, it says that the whole city was gathered. Remember that? The whole city was gathered at Peter's door, right? This was from when Jesus was in the synagogue, uh, and he comes preaching uh, with authority, unlike the scribes, the text tells us there. Uh, he's in the synagogue. He's preaching with authority, and you know, there's a, a, a man in there that uh, is demon-possessed. You know, he starts, you know, saying things to Jesus. Jesus casts him out. Uh, He dips from there, goes to Peter's house. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, right? She's ill. They're like, come, Jesus. Come heal my mother-in-law, da-da-da. And as he's there, the whole city's gathered. The whole city's there. That's what the text tells us, that the whole city is there. People there, a bum rush of people coming to see Jesus so the whole city is gathered at Peter's door to receive healing from Jesus and to be freed from the grip of demons. In verse 35 of chapter 1, Jesus gets away, just like we see here in the passage we're reading, right? Um, so he tried to do that in our passage that we're studying. And here's what happened. So Jesus trying to get away. Here's what happens here, right? In verse 36 to 38 of chapter 1, it says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. And said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, and I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. That's why I came out, to preach. Yeah, I, 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 I've been healing. I'm going to heal. Yeah, I'm going to cast out demons. My main aim is to preach. My main goal is to, to preach. So that. Dead men and dead women would come to life. So like the crowd then, the crowd here heard about his miracles, how he had just healed the man with the deformed hand, as we studied a few weeks ago in Mark 3, 1 through 6, right? So the crowd, they heard about that. They heard when Jesus went into the synagogue and he healed the man with the deformed hand, the withered hand, and how he's been healing the sick, casting out demons, and teaching with authority. So they're hearing about these things. But as we've been seeing so far, they didn't want Jesus as Savior. They wanted what the Savior could do for them. You might ask, well, well, okay, how how do you know this? How do you know this? Well, we see it here, and we see it so far in the Gospel of Mark, but we also see it in other places in Jesus' ministry. So in John 6, we we have this famous passage where Jesus tells the people to eat his flesh and drink his blood. You remember that? Now, he didn't mean that in a literal sense. Although one could make an argument uh, that Jesus is also referring to the Lord's Supper, uh, where we eat the bread symbolizing Jesus' body, and we drink the cup symbolizing Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Right? But essentially what's going on here in John 6, Jesus is saying to them, to all of them in this, is that he is the only way to God. He is the only way to God. You want to be saved? You want to experience eternal life? Well, you have to receive him. You have to receive Jesus. He is the bread of life. He is the living water. Feast on this bread earlier in chapter 6 as it says, feast on this bread and you'll never go hungry. Drink from this well of water and you'll never thirst again. This is what Jesus has been telling them throughout the chapter, chapter 6 of John. And after hearing all of this, the people that heard all of this, the disciples and so forth and so forth, after hearing this, listen to how the people responded. Sister Liz read this earlier. Or she read the other part? It says, uh, in verse 16, it says, After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Upon hearing Jesus telling them, yo, like, I'm the only way. Partake of my bread. I am the bread of life. I am living water. Feast upon me. Drink upon me. They hear it. Listen, what it, look at what it says. After this, many of his disciples, many of his disciples, these were people that had been rocking with Jesus for a minute now. They turned back and no longer walked with him. You see, they weren't following for the right reasons because when it was crunch time, when Jesus said to completely follow me, to completely rid yourself of your life and your wants, your needs, your desires, and follow Him, follow me, Jesus, some of them turned back and no longer walked with Him. So, what about you this afternoon? What about me this afternoon? What about all of us this afternoon? Is your response like Peter's in the following verses where it says, listen to John 6, 67 through 69, says, so Jesus, after the disciples, many of the disciples who turned back and, and walked away, this is what Jesus, he says, Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Do you want to go away as well? Now, is your, is your response one of Peter's? Here's what Peter says. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Is this your testimony? Is this my testimony? Are you like Peter, knowing in your heart of hearts that there's no other place to go? There's no other place to turn to but Jesus, with Jesus, To Jesus, to the Christians in the room, is this your anchor? Is this my anchor? Is this what has gripped you and me? Is this why you have followed him? Oh, if you are, and praise God that you are, this is your testimony. This is your confession, like Peter. This is your confession. But the temptation for us Sometimes as Christians, is to when we've become a Christian by God's grace and have been walking as a Christian for some time, we get amnesia. We get, we get amnesia. We get spiritual amnesia. And we, we forget that this is the only reason. Not a reason. This is the only reason to follow Jesus, nothing else. What, what Peter here is saying, the confession he's making, the confession that we have made, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God, that you are God. This is the only reason to follow Jesus. Nothing else. And, and, and not only is it the only reason to follow Jesus, this is the only reason to keep following Jesus. This is the only reason to keep following Jesus, nothing else, because he is God, and he has the words of eternal life, and we have, by God's Spirit, come to know this. None of us have come to know this on our own. All of this has been revealed by the Father to us through the proclamation of the gospel, by his Spirit. We have come to know this, and thanks be to God that we have come to know this, amen? That God has revealed it to us. He didn't reveal it to us because any of us are elite or better than anybody or nothing along those lines. He didn't reveal it to us because there's anything good in us. There's nothing good in us. There's only good in God. And he, by his mercy, by his grace, y'all, has revealed it to, uh, to us and is still revealing it to others. It's nothing but sheer mercy. So when you all were out this morning on the block sharing the gospel, that's sheer mercy. Sheer mercy. That you get to go and do that and that others get to hear it. <laughs> it's amazing. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, we're so glad that you're with us. You could be anywhere, but you chose to be here But this is the call for you this afternoon, to trust Jesus for salvation. Don't come to Jesus for the stuff you think you can get from him. Come to him for him and find that he alone can satisfy your soul's desire. He alone can satisfy your soul's desire. Your deepest longings and wants, Jesus, can satisfy those things. Come to him for him. But you have to do this. You have to agree with God and his word, the Bible, that you were created to worship him, but you and I are fallen, we are sinners, and we have misplaced our worship everywhere else, but not where and who you were created for. And because you're a sinner, and because I'm a sinner, if God was to judge you rightly in your sin... If he did, you would be found guilty. You will be found guilty and experience eternal separation from a loving, gracious God. You'll be eternally separated from him. And we don't want that for you. So the good news, here's the good news, is that Jesus came to save sinners like you and me. He lived a perfect life of obedience to God. In your place and in my place. He is crucified, hung on a cross for your sins and my sins. Where he died, but on the third day was raised from the dead, offering eternal life to all who would turn away from their sins and turn to him by faith. This is what we want to hold out to you today. Jesus. Christ. Trust him. Trust him. believe upon him. If you would like to learn more about how to trust Jesus for salvation, come talk to me after this service or to any of our members here. We would love to. It would be our joy to discuss what it would mean for you to start your life with Christ. Come talk to us. May today be the day of salvation for you. All right, so we're still talking about the crowd. So in verses 9 through 10, Jesus requests a getaway ride because the crowd is super hefty. And about to crush him, look down at verses 9 through 10. Here's what it reads. It says, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. This is the type of crowd crush like what happens at Travis Scott's concerts. Some of you guys may be familiar with who he is. For those of you who don't, he's a rapper. And he's put on these festivals in Houston called World over the years, right? So in last year's concert, 2021, the concert, the crowd was, was, was too big. It was super duper big. And it produced what they call a crowd crush. Similar to what we're seeing here, a crowd crush, right? The people, so, you know, for those of you who have been in concerts, which I assume all of us have been in concerts, da-da-da. So, you know, you're in the concert. You think about folks who are at Astroworld. They're getting hyped. They're getting in. It's a big crowd. They're enjoying themselves. All of a sudden, the music gets hyper and hyper. Travis Scott is getting them hyper and hyper and hyper. Next thing you know, folks are coming in closer, inching in closer, inching in closer to you. Before you know it, you're like, man, like I'm starting to feel suffocated. I'm starting to feel like I can't even move. Oh, I think the best idea for me is to go down to the ground. Oh no, you go to the ground, you know, you're crushed. You're hurt. You passed out. So the people are so hyped, they're crunched up together. People pass out, They get crushed, and sadly, From the reports that we saw from last year's concerts, eight or more people died as a result. People died as a result of this crowd crush. So Jesus, similarly here, is on the verge of a crowd crush. And he's making arrangements to get away to prevent that from happening. This is what we see here. Again, the reason why the crowd crush is a threat is because people are trying to get to him to be healed, as verse 10 tells us, right? So that's the crowds, and as we see, Jesus didn't let them distract him or deter him from the mission. He keeps pressing. He keeps moving forward. He keeps going. And in thinking about us, We should do the same. We should do the same when distractions may come. And if you're anything like me, you can get distracted. And distractions will come. Distractions from friends, distractions from family, distractions from social media, distractions from you fill in the blank. They come. We can't let them get us off focus or deter us from God's mission. We've got to be privy to what is a distraction and what's seeking to deter us from the mission of God. <laughs> so we looked at the crowds. Um, now let's think about the unclean spirits. So the unclean spirits in verses 11 through 12. So Jesus didn't let the crowds you know, distract him or deter him from the mission. Neither did he let the unclean spirits, nor can we let the distractions from the enemy get us off focus, discourage, or deter us. Jesus, in verses 11 through 12, continues to show us his authority over Satan's minions, so the unclean spirits, the demons. Let's look at verse 11 through 12. It says, And whenever the unclean spirit saw him, They fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So the unclean spirits see Jesus and are shook by his presence. And they scream out who he is. They're shook by his presence and they scream out who he is. One quick application is Christians in the room is that we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear Satan Or his minions, the demons, because, and here's because, not because of you or me, because we serve a savior, Jesus, who at the mention of his name, they tremble. Who in his authority silences them. He tells them to be quiet and they be quiet. They don't speak at the authority of Jesus Verse 12 shows us this. Listen to it again. It says, and he strictly ordered them not to make him known. He strictly ordered who? The demons, the unclean spirits, not to make him known. Did they make him known? No, they did not. (laughs) They're silenced. So he silences them, and in silencing them, he didn't want them to make him known. We've seen this already happen in the Gospel of Mark so far. And essentially what's going on here, what this means is that it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right time and place where Jesus wanted to be revealed. That's what's going on here. It wasn't the right time or place where Jesus wanted to be revealed. To quote Achan again, he's helpful here. He says, a demonic declaration of his deity will not help his mission. It is both the wrong source and the wrong time. Jesus will be fully revealed, not by demonic confession, but by the cross of Calvary. So we can't let the the crowds distract us or deter us. We can't let the enemy distract or deter us from the mission just like Jesus didn't. Being reminded of the authority of Christ, being reminded that we serve a Savior that at the mention of his name, Demons flee. Like Satan has no authority. (laughs) He is powerless unless Jesus allows him. When you think about in the book of Job, right, Satan comes to God and asks for permission to move. He, yeah, God has to allow it. So we can't let. These things deter us or distract us. And let me say this real quick before we move on. And we've looked at this in Ephesians 6, right, uh, where we have that beautiful passage that Paul, um, yeah, writes there in talking about putting on the whole armor of God, right? So I want to be very clear, as I hope I was then when I preached on Ephesians 6. But just to remind us, though, again, we don't have to fear Satan. We don't have to fear demons. But we don't want to just go around picking fights don't want to go around picking fights with Satan, picking fights with demons, because we are in our own selves not powerful, not powerful. But as Ephesians 6 tells us that we're not fighting in our own strength, but we're fighting in the strength of whose might? His might. His might. That's why the whole encouragement, the whole challenge there is Paul saying put on the whole armor of God. You didn't say put on the whole armor of Josh. I ain't got no armor. Come on, <laughs> hey, man, nobody does. It's just put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. So I just want to be clear on that. So I'm not encouraging. Don't be going out here telling anybody, Pastor Josh, say, you know what? You know what I mean? Like, hey, we're going to go out here and, you know what I mean? Satan and the enemy, man, we ain't going to fear him, but, you know, we ready for him. We're going to I think it was a rapper brought, you might know who it is, but I think it was a rapper who said they had a, uh, gosh, what did he say? I think he said he had like a, 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 a demon bazooka or something, something like that. One, rapper, one of these Christian rappers back in the day uh, saying they have a demon bazooka or something like that. I ain't, talking about, I ain't talking about going out there acting like you got a demon bazooka or nothing, y'all. I don't be doing none of that. don't be going out here telling them that I said it either. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, nah, but all jokes aside. Yeah, I, I want to be, be clear on that but we do not have to fear because we are in Christ. And Satan and his minions, they don't have no authority on Christ's people. They have no authority over us. Okay? We we will face temptation. We will face struggles. We are tempted. The world is always tempting us, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we will experience these types of things, but in the midst of that, man, we are promised that that Jesus will help us, that, that, that he is able to keep us from stumbling, amen? So, so being reminded of that, that he is able to keep us and protect us. So that's number two. Excuse me, that's number one. Here's number two. We must raise up leaders to fulfill and feel the mission must raise up leaders to fulfill and fuel the mission. Look at verses 13 through 19 with me as Jesus calls and appoints the 12 apostles. Look at verse 13. It says, And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. First off, I want to just move quickly past this. We see Jesus going up on a mountain to call the apostles to himself, right? Mountains, And you may already know this, but if you didn't know this, mountains are significant in Jesus' life and ministry. They're significant. And here's how. It would be on the mountaintop where Jesus would experience temptation by Satan but succeed, Matthew 4. It would be on a mountain where Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And there are other examples, but I'll suffice to say here, it would be on a mountain where Jesus would give the Great Commission. This is where Jesus was on the mountain, and he commissions the disciples in the Matthew 28, the Great Commission. So from the mountain, he calls those whom he desired, and they came to him. Jesus had already called some of the disciples to himself earlier in the book. So Peter and Andrew, who are brothers, James and John, who are also brothers, Mark 1, 16 20. Then Matthew, who was a tax collector, Mark 2, 14. In verse 13, he's calling those five along with seven more to come to him. So he's calling those five that he's already called, and seven more to make 12, to come to him. So he calls them, and they come to him in verse 13. In verses 14 to Through 15, we learn that he appoints them. Look there with me. Verse 14, it says, And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So the word appointed means to be decided beforehand or to be chosen for a role in order to fulfill a task. So essentially, the 12 apostles were sovereignly chosen before the foundations of the world. This is what that word appointed means. So let's, let's think through a few questions. Let's answer a few questions. What is an apostle? What is an apostle? Well, the word apostle means sent one. It means sent one or one who is sent so think about that like in a missionary sense a missionary who goes overseas somewhere or missionaries that come to congress heights like all of us as church members missionaries or in that sense right so in this sense of the meaning of the word every believer is a sent one every believer is a sent one but what we have here in this passage is apostles in a unique sense of the meaning, in a unique sense of the meaning. The uniqueness is expressed in the criteria and the characteristics laid out here in this passage and others regarding what an apostle is. So what an apostle is, who can be one, and what they did. So few of those criteria or characteristics here, number one, They were specifically called and appointed by Jesus. That's criteria number one, as we see here in the text, that they were specifically called, chosen, and appointed by Jesus. Number two, the purpose of the calling and appointing was for them to be with Jesus and that he would then send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So that's the purpose of the apostleship them to be with Jesus and for him to send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. Jesus over the next few years of his life and ministry with these 12 apostles, he intentionally invested in these men because his plan was to see his mission fulfilled, fueled and furthered through them. So one quick application for us on this is that we also see Jesus modeling, modeling discipling here. He, he models what discipling is and what it should look like, spending time with people, helping them follow Jesus, and sending them out to proclaim Jesus. And I'm encouraged by how the members here at CHCC are striving to make disciples. I'm encouraged by you saints, but how we are all striving to make disciples. So in our pods, our discipling pods, out on the block every Sunday morning, whether on the Ave or at Shepherd's Park, on our actual blocks where we live, folks seeking to get to know their neighbors, love on the neighbors, share the gospel. So many examples to share here, but it really encouraged me to know pretty much that the whole church was hanging with the Owens on Friday night to help with moving day. This is doing life together. That's doing life together. Amen? Amen? And these are the things by God's grace that we've been about since the beginning of our church, since starting our church. And may we continue to be about this. May we continue to grow in this. May we continue to, yeah, seek and pursue ways to continue to be that type of church. It's one of our core values, right? Family. And we want everybody in our church to feel like family because you are family. You are family. So maybe we continue to, to do just that. All right, again, thinking about the 12 apostles, these would have been men uh, besides Judas uh, because he's, he betrayed Jesus. But these would be the men, the 11, who would later be commissioned to go and make disciples of all nations. So Matthew 28, 18-20. These were the men who would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the end of the earth, Acts 1-8. The foundation of the church would be built on the apostles. Jesus being the cornerstone, though. Ephesians two twenty. The early church would then also devote themselves to their teaching, which is Jesus' teaching. Remember in the Great Commission, he tells them, he commissions them to teach them all that I have commanded. Not all of what Peter commanded. So essentially, them teaching is Jesus' teaching. It's God's word. And the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So what did an apostle do? Look at verses 14 to 15, and we've kind of already seen this in the passage. The apostles would do three things based on this passage. They would, what, be with Jesus. They would preach and have authority to cast out demons. Look at verse 14 and 15. It says, and he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And have authority to cast out demons. So they were discipled by Jesus to go and be heralds. To go and be heralds. Uh, proclaimers of the same gospel he preached. Back in Mark 1, verses 14 through 15. And have authority over demons. Another commentator puts it this way. He says, as the son of God, Jesus possessed absolute authority over all things. When he selected his 12 apostles... He delegated his authority to them. A few more passages to help shape the criteria and characteristics that were set to be an apostle. We see uh, in Acts 1, 21 through 26, that the apostles choose another apostle to take Judas' place. Again, Judas betrayed Jesus. In Acts 1, 21 through 26, it reads, it says, so one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsarvis, who was also called Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, "You Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas turned aside to go his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Paul, defending his apostleship in 1 Corinthians 9:1 through2, he says, "Am I not free? Am I not an apostle?" Have I not seen the Lord or seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. Talking to the Corinthian church. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. So in summary, based on Mark 3, that we're looking at this passage we're studying, based on Acts 1, Based on 1 Corinthians 9, based on these passages, a a characteristic or a criteria would have had to have been that to be an apostle, you must have been called and appointed by Jesus and been with Jesus, physically with Jesus, and also seen his resurrection, seen him resurrected, being a witness to his resurrection, so, based on this criteria, we would understand biblically this to mean that there are no modern day apostles. That there are no apostles today in the 12 apostles sense. There are sent ones, missionaries, church planters, pastors, leaders, etc. Et Christians who go and evangelize, but in this sense, not apostles. Now I want you to bear with me, fam. As you all know, as, as my role is to, to faithfully preach what the Bible teaches, and I also understand that there are many men who have misinterpreted a lot of what the Bible says here, and they failed to be loving in this area, and as, have also sadly shown prejudice. But may it not be here at CHCC. May it not be so here. Some of you if not all of you, may be wondering, how come there aren't any women listed as apostles? Weren't some of them called by Jesus? Spent time with Jesus and saw him resurrected? And my response lovingly and biblically would be, response number one, Jesus loved women. And indeed, women to follow him and serve with him. In fact, it was women who Jesus appeared to first after dying on the cross and being resurrected from the dead. He appears to Mary Magdalene and the other Mary and tells them to go and tell the others that he's alive. It's Matthew 28. That's a big deal. That's a major deal. He appears to women First, And he tells the women to go tell the others. Or well, what about Paul? Paul, he had women who served with him in significant ways. Remember in Acts 18, when Apollos comes preaching, you may recall this, the brother was eloquent. That's what the text says. It says that the brother was eloquent. He was competent in the scriptures, had been instructed in the way of the Lord. But he only knew the baptism of John. And the baptism of John was the baptism of repentance. If you recall, when when John the Baptist uh, came on the scene, he's the forerunner for Jesus. And he's uh, taking folks to the Jordan River. And folks are coming, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins. And they're being baptized with the baptism of repentance. But he says, hey, hey, hey. My baptism is not it. There's a one who's coming, and his baptism is greater. He will baptize you with the Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus' baptism is a baptism with the Spirit. So still thinking about Acts 18, who does the Lord use to show him the way more fully? Who does the Lord use to show Apollos the way more fully? He uses a woman named Priscilla along with her husband, Aquila. Listen to Acts 18, verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Think about that for a second. That's huge. That Priscilla, teammate of Paul, teammate of all the other apostles and leaders and others, when this guy comes preaching a message not fully, the Lord uses a sister to correct him, to, get, to set him on the path of preaching the truth of God's word more accurately and more fully. These are just two examples of a whole host of other examples. Response number two. Jesus called and appointed these 12 men to be apostles. Based on the biblical text we're studying. And we, and we don't see Jesus calling women to serve as apostles. He specifically and uniquely called these men to serve in this way but although women aren't called to be apostles, Jesus certainly calls women to follow him and serve in multitudes of ways in the church. This is the truth, right? And as I look around this afternoon, I praise God. I praise God for the women in our church I praise God for the women. Amen. We can amen that and amen that a thousand times. I praise God for all the women in our church who are teaching, who are leading, who are serving, and who are boldly proclaiming God's word and the gospel. Take a moment to reflect on that, family. Take a moment just to reflect on that and reflect on the ladies of our church who are Leading and teaching, boldly proclaiming God's word and the gospel. Think of a sister here at CHCC and how she has pointed you to Jesus, and how you all have pointed me to Jesus. That's significant, that's powerful, that's major. And we praise God for the ladies of our church. We need you, ladies all ladies, we need all the men because here's here's what's happening here's where I'm getting at because you all, we all are fulfilling and fueling the mission here at CHCC and in order for us to become a healthier church, we want to see more leaders raised up more leaders raised up who will serve as pastors as deacons And deaconesses in God's timing. And as you are already praying for this, please continue to pray for this as we, Lord willing, hope to see this realized soon. But we want to take a moment to praise God for all of the ways that ladies and men are leading in our church, leading sacrificially, leading joyfully, teaching the Bible teaching God's word, sharing the gospel. Don't see that as insignificant. That is major. And without you ladies and without the men of this church, without you all, and specifically thinking about the ladies, we might as well shut our doors. Because we couldn't do any of what we do without you. And I can't stress that enough. I can't be as clear enough as I can be. We need you. And praise God that we have you. All right, so, so these were the apostles listed here. And they were diverse in backgrounds, professions, et cetera, et cetera. Some were fishermen, another a tax collector, Etc. And as verse nineteen tells us, one of them was a traitor, so Judas. But Judas betrayed Jesus, all according to God's will and the sovereign plan of salvation. This did not catch God by surprise; it was preordained. It was, uh, yeah, God's sovereignty being worked out. It was His plan for salvation. So. That's, we must raise up leaders. Praise God for the leaders that have been raised up here and the leaders to come that will be raised up here at CHCC and many, many, many more by God's grace as he tarries. We must raise up leaders to fulfill and feel the mission. And third and our final point, we may be misunderstood by family and friends, the community, everybody, because of the mission we may be misunderstood you may already be being misunderstood the crowd misunderstood jesus's mission in verse 20 here's what it reads it says then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat jesus went home and the crowd went all astro world travis scott again right even to the point that Jesus and others couldn't even eat a meal. The crowd misunderstood Jesus' purpose. They misunderstood his mission. That he didn't come only to heal those battling with physical sicknesses, but he came ultimately to heal us from all our spiritual sicknesses. Sin, our sin, our enemies. Sin, the world, and the devil. So you see, The crowd misunderstanding Jesus here again. But not only the crowd, Jesus' family misunderstood him. Look back at verse 21 with me. It says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Jesus' family heard all of the commotion that was going on, and they're they're probably like, Oh, Lord, pun intended. Here he goes with him being Lord stuff again. Probably like, Jesus, stop with this craziness. We done done told you, you are not the son of God. You're Joseph's son. You're the son of Joseph. So they go out and they try to seize him. And the word seize here. Another other translations, they say, it says arrest. So that word seize means arrest, or to lay hold of him. They say he's out of his mind. Aiken again, is, is, is very helpful here in his commentary, where he reminds us that the culture Jesus was raised in was an honor and shame culture, right? So his family accusing him of being out of his mind maybe was an attempt to prevent them from being shamed. But Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his earthly father, they know that Jesus was far from being crazy. I mean, they can recall what the Lord told them when Jesus was to be born, right? You may may remember this passage. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So the family saying he tripping, but the family tripping. They know who he is. They know he's the son of God. (laughs) Y'all laughing. They know he's the son of God. Jesus wasn't crazy; he was the Christ. He is the Christ, and as the Christ, even though he was misunderstood, he stayed focused on the mission. He invited others in on this mission. He invited us in on this mission. Amen with him. He didn't let misunderstandings from albeit family, friends, co-workers, you name it. He didn't let that keep him from fulfilling the mission and neither should we, beloved. We too cannot let misunderstandings of people who, who, who see you moving differently now, right? They see you moving differently than you used to. Not that you're thinking you better than somebody or that you're acting in that way like you're better than somebody because nobody's better than nobody. We're all on the same level plane. Not that you tripping like that, but, but they see you moving differently. They, don't, they, they want the old Josh, but the old Josh is dead. And have been, has been raised to new life. And that's the same for every Christian in this room. Some of your friends, some of your family members may be, uh, yeah, they, they, they may be relating to you in the old way. Now, they know you, right? And so they're able to kick some jokes and be silly and all that stuff and remind you of your past. If one thing is, is, it, is true, our families can humble us. They can humble us. You out here thinking you all... Hasidity and this that and the third, you better than this, da 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 your family, be like, boy, girl, I remember when you did this. I remember when you did that. They can humble us. And they, they, they may misunderstand though that you are not the same. So you no longer do those same things like you once did. It's not that you're trying to act better or act in some ways, this, that, and the third, that they might perceive, but it's that you've been changed. You've been redeemed. You walk differently now. You talk differently now. You still might have some of the same vernacular that when you was in the streets. Da, da, da. I do as well. I remember one guy, <laughs> I remember one guy, um, uh, won't give the name, but when I, when, when I was in North Carolina, uh, such and such, such and such, um, and in the spaces I was in, you know, uh, maybe some predominantly white spaces or such and such, such and such. I remember one guy, he told me, he said, he said, yo. Well, he didn't say yo. <laughs> he was like, he was like, man, you're bilingual. And I was like, what do you mean I'm bilingual? He was like, he was like, man, like when you're in certain settings, man, you're able to talk, you know what I mean, this way. You're able to, you know what I'm saying, like talk the big words of theology and da da da, but you still also are like, yeah, man, Jesus died, but he got up, da-da-da. You know, he, he, he was hung like a chandelier, and da-da-da. You know, I'm able to still kind of kind of uh, navigate and talk kind of like hood vernacular, but redeemed hood vernacular, if you will, I guess. And he was like, you're, you're bilingual. It's similar to some of how your family members may be relating to you or friends that may be relating to you, right? That you may not talk the same way you used to, you still are able to hold a conversation down. You still know what's going on. You're still in tune. You're relevant. You're, you're, you're culturally hit. but you may not mm, you may not navigate in the same ways you once used to, right? For some of us, myself included, and I'm about to bring it home, y'all, uh, man, like, I could string together curse words like it wasn't nothing. Before I knew the Lord, it was natural, Ba-la-la-la-la, right? It just came naturally. Now I don't cuss anymore, and so when I'm around, um, you know the cats when I go home and they and they saying this, that, and third, I don't look at them differently. I don't judge them. I don't judge anybody else when I'm in, you know, the neighborhood or anywhere. I mean, I'm around people all the time that's saying bow, 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 all the time. Ain't nobody judging them. But I don't, I don't, um, I don't participate in that same way anymore. I don't communicate in that same way anymore. I'm just using this as one example of a thousand examples. Um, and, 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 yeah, because the Lord has redeemed my mouth. He's redeemed my mind. Yeah, I still struggle with thoughts. We all do. Yeah, I still struggle with this. Yeah, I'm I'm imperfect. I'm the chief of sinners here. So I ain't I ain't tripping. I'm the chief of sinners, not you, me, I am. Right? So ain't nobody, I mean, don't, you know, we're not coming from that angle. What I'm just saying is it's just that it's just our family members and our friends and our coworkers and whomever else. they they may misunderstand how we are walking now. Because we're walking in a way of holiness versus unholiness as we once were. Now, last thing, if if we're around our family members and friends and coworkers and and in the neighborhood and, and they don't see the difference or they don't hear the difference, or, or m- like, God forbid someone to be like, yo, like, man, such and such, say they da-da-da, da-da-da, but man, they da-da-da this too. S- same how I do, or how I once did. And I think that's another conversation, right? I, I think we want to, to make sure that with what we say and what we confess, that it also, which I believe it does, matches with how we live what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to holiness, right? Now, we can debate all day long, right, da 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 da, da but the Bible calls us to holiness. Be holy because I am holy, the Lord says. And so I'm, I'm in here, but may we, with our family members and with our friends and whomever else that may misunderstand us, may we continue to press forward. Jesus didn't let that hinder him from the mission it fueled the mission he continued and persevered in the mission and so may we do the same may we do the same let's pray as the team comes back up Father we thank you for your word we thank you for how um, yeah you've spoken today Uh, we pray that you would help us to uh, obey uh, in every way that you see fit, in every way that you desire. God, I pray uh, that in all of what's been said, God, that I know you were doing this during the time of the preaching moment, and I pray that you would do this after uh, I close. And later this afternoon and throughout this week and the weeks ahead and months and years ahead, I pray, God, that Um, that we all heard your word and that we heard what you were saying to us from your word. And I pray, God, that you would help us to obey your word, to trust your word. I pray, God, that if there was anything in there that was, uh, yeah, um, yeah, Confusing or whatever, the case, take those things out and I pray, God, that you would harp in on what you were trying to get across, what you were saying. Help us not to leave uh, with, uh, yeah, Lord, with, with not being clear. Help us to leave with clarity. Help us to have a clarified hearts and minds as we leave here. Not unclarified hearts and minds. So I pray for that, Lord, and I pray uh, that you would use your word as we come back to it later today, and as we come back to it tomorrow, and in the days ahead, continue to use it to shape us, continue to use it to grow us, and help us to filter all of what we think, and what we say, and what we do, through your word, not through Josh, or us, or any of us individually but that we we filter it through what you're saying what has been said and apply it to our lives so help us to know your word lord help us to know your word just reminding and burden, lord just to know your word more and to know not just because we're trying to share it not just because we're trying to preach it we we, we're going to do that by your grace But we want to know your word because we love you. We love you. And we believe that you have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere else to turn. There's nowhere else to go but to you, God. So help us to come to your word with that type of posture. We're coming to you because, man, there is no other word out here that's going to keep me today. There's no other word that's going to keep me this week but your word, your truth. So help us to come to your word with that type of posture. He humbled and and just eager hungry thirsty to be satisfied by your living water your word please do that lord i pray and much much more thank you for how you've been working in this this time continue to be magnified and pleased in Jesus name amen amen, amen.